Good morning. Praise the Lord. You have in your hand, uh, should have in your hand, uh, two handouts. One is um, white sheet of paper. The other is a lavender piece of paper. And I'm going to ask you not to um, destroy them. Well, I shouldn't say destroy, but um, uh, crumble them or um, um, mutilate them in any fashion because we're going to use these two outlines, as it were, for this morning and the next two meetings. And I don't think the brothers have printed a lot of additional ones, so if you lose yours, you may not get another one. I'm not so sure. Uh, But these are the three, uh, two, I should say, outlines we're going to use for these next three meetings. Then tomorrow night, and then uh, Lord's Day morning, uh, rather Monday morning, we will um, have two other outlines for us. Now, um, let me say something about these outlines first. You see in the top there, in the white sheet, the seven spirits and our spirit. Well, this was the subject of this conference, but no longer. Actually, we are prepared Uh, five outlines for this weekend uh, under this general subject of the seven spirits and our spirit. The kind of a feeling or burden I had um, a few months back um, after we've decided that we'll have, I I will be coming to this uh, Midwest uh, conference. Uh, There are other uh, conferences going on right now And for your information and prayer, the Southeast Conference that is usually held in Jacksonville, Florida, has been canceled because of the hurricane. And I just uh, saw this morning that uh, while um, the original uh, forecast was that it will make landfall in Florida, direct on the east coast of Florida, now they don't know. Uh, The strength is still packed, about 140 miles an hour, but it may make landfall in actually the Carolinas and Georgia. So we would pray for that. Um, But I want to uh, uh, tell you that um, uh, there are two other conferences that I usually attend, and since last year uh, I was in Chicago, I have not attended, and um, maybe there are some unhappy saints right now, but but, uh, I told them that uh, this conference here in Chicago, um, for reason of the Lord's move, the Lord's present move in in America, and particularly in the heartland of America, and more specifically in this area of the heartland, being the Midwest, um, I have to come here. Um, 
you have heard that we made an announcement, or maybe you have not, we made an announcement or a preview of an announcement uh, this last uh, summer training, the live training in Anaheim. I did that actually in the last session of that training, and that is to announce a particular uh, move uh, in the way of migration, uh, in the way of um, uh, um, the creation or the formation of uh, gospel teams. I'm talking about especially campus or college campus uh, full-timer teams um, uh, in the so-called heartland area. And I would like to even now say something about this uh, since I'm on the subject. And uh, you have to realize, uh, uh, saints, of course, in these uh, last decade, actually two decades, since Brother Witness Lee's passing, um, the, our burden for this country, for the United States, actually I should include Canada, um, led us uh, to have various migrations and, uh, and uh, deliberate spread of the Lord's recovery. So uh, we have this uh, move that we put under this acronym GTCA, and that really means Gospelize, Truthize, and Churchize America, GTCA. So over the years, uh, we have been having that, and this includes your area here in the Midwest. And new churches were raised up, new teams were raised up, migration took place, and so uh, the Lord did something in these years. But our present burden is um, much more focused uh, because you may say in the coastal areas of the U.S., um, in terms of the concentration of saints, in terms of the number of churches, uh, there are more of that than the middle part of America. Maybe the other word is not heartland. That's a little, maybe a little bit of a uh, misleading, but the middle part of America relatively we have, we have relatively less saints and less churches. And yet this is, the, this is America. America is actually in the middle. So um, we, after much fellowship over the last few years, really, amongst the co-workers in North America, uh, we have the burden to focus, focus, especially on... Uh, on this part of the country. This would include the Midwest, this would include uh, the South and the Southeast and, and so on, this part. And um, we uh, announced uh, this summer uh, 10 cities in all uh, in this part of the country as target cities. Um, I share this with you, brothers and sisters, actually for your burden and for your prayer. Uh, you're right in the middle of this area. 
And of those 10 cities, four, I think four of those cities are actually in the so-called Midwest. And they would be, correct me if I, uh, Brown, Minneapolis, Minnesota, and then uh, St. Louis, Missouri, and then uh, I think Lexington, Kentucky, and then finally Cincinnati, am I right? Cincinnati, Ohio. So these are the four cities that we are targeting right now on a national basis. Now, uh, outside of this area, uh, down south, uh, we have four cities, and that would be Memphis, Tennessee, Orlando, I think, Florida, um, and then Columbia, South Carolina, and then finally, um, Charlotte, uh, North Carolina. Now, in some of these places, uh, a number of these places, there already a church there. So this is not like uh, we are raising up um, uh, a new church from ground zero. But uh, the burden is that uh, in a number of these places, uh, there's no uh, campus work as such, and yet there, there are large, large, huge campuses in these localities. So as we know, the uh, campus, uh, college campuses, is a major, we call it fishing pond, uh, where the fish or the young fish uh, would be, the young people today. And you should all know by now, the college campuses, um, the, all the millennials are gone. In other words, they all graduated. Uh, in their place is what we call Generation Z. I think there may be a few sitting around here who are Generation Z. Those are the post-millennials. So even the millennials are getting old. Uh, my children, for example, are millennials, and some of them are actually the older millennials, meaning they are now beginning to hit age 40 and beyond, they are now entering into middle age, finally. Isn't that scary, how time flies? And so um, now it is what we call Generation Z. And so uh, there's the burden uh, to form and send campus teams to these places so that the Lord can, uh, so that the Lord can gain many of these young people for himself and for his purpose. And so um, the burden is that we will, quote, quote, take these 10 places. Some, uh, oh, I have not finished yet. I just mentioned uh, eight, there's two more. One is Richmond, Virginia. And the last one is Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, both have uh, a small church there uh, and with large campus, uh, campuses, uh, but we need a, st uh, a strengthening of the Lord's work in these localities. So with these 10 cities, our burden is that amongst the churches and the saints uh, in the U.S., in the next two years or three, uh, I, look, I hope it will be faster, like two years. There would be 300 
brothers and sisters, 300 brothers and sisters that would be raised up, called by the Lord, burdened by the Lord to move to these cities. This would include saints who are working, families, couples, uh, working ones, and so on. This would also include a number of full-timers that would actually form teams. And I think we're, our burden is to raise up at least five teams to five of these places. And in the Midwest, of those four cities, the teams that we like to see are where? I think Minneapolis and Cincinnati. Right. I think those two places. Um, so I share that burden with you for your prayer. This is your own backyard. Well, I keep saying you and your. No, I should say me and mine. Okay, this is my own backyard. I'm one of you. And so, um, uh, bring this to the Lord and in your prayer in the churches and even go to the Lord and see how the Lord would burden you and lead you. 300, Gideon's 300 for the next two years in these 10 cities. Um, now, uh, I come to explain these outlines a little bit. Um, originally, there is a burden for, to cover the seven spirits. You say, why the seven spirits? Well, one small reason, not the main one, but small reason, was that exactly, exactly 50 years ago, this light, or this truth concerning the seven spirits was released for the first time uh, by the ministry, 1969. Some of you may remember what I'm talking about. And when pl the place where Brother Lee released such a burden was actually in Erie, Pennsylvania. You know where that is, right? Erie, Pennsylvania. And also in Los Angeles that year. 1969 was a momentous year. That was the year when a revival, I would say, of the Lord took place in Los Angeles. During those years, that revival hit a peak. I would call it a peak. And that peak year was, in fact, 1969. And that's when this great matter of the seven spirits was released based on the book of Revelation. And I would say that the release of that burden propelled the Lord's move to greater heights so that starting that year and on to 1970, 71, and 72, there arose a huge great migration, migration, uh, not only from Los Angeles, from, but in other places as well, in Texas and maybe even this area, where there were migration to different cities, major cities all across this country. Now that was a great move of the Lord that we still remember well today. Um, 
the Lord's recovery, you may say, exploded from just uh, a few places all across this country. <clears throat> and churches that are still in existence today in major cities were raised up at that time. And the Lord's recovery boomed, uh, increased and grew quickly in large numbers and in large uh, geographic parts. That uh, <clears throat> uh, great light concerning the seven spirits <clears throat> remained with us uh, until today. And as I was considering the Lord's new move among us today, I have this burden to come back to this matter of the seven spirits. You know, the seven spirits uh, the number seven even. Of course, we should know this is not talking about seven different spirits. That would be heretical. There's only one spirit of God. There's only one Holy Spirit. There's only one spirit of Jesus Christ. And so there's not seven different spirits. The seven spirits is actually one spirit. Then you say, why seven? Seven has to do in the Bible with God's operational move. The completion, in fact, of God's move is, is uh, signified by the number seven. There's another important number in the word, and that would be the number 12. That has a different significance. The number 12 signifies the completion of God's administration. God's administration. So, for example, the consummate vision of the New Jerusalem, that city, that holy city, is full of the number 12. Everywhere you turn, everything is 12, 12, and 12, right? And that 12 signifies the ultimate consummation of God's administration in this universe. However, the number 7 has to do with God's move, God's operation in its completion. So seven spirits refer to the spirit for God's move, for the completion of God's move on the earth. And due to the degradation of the church, the degradation of the church, in the last couple of thousands of thousands of years, actually, actually, even without these last two thousand years, right, the degradation of the church has set in, even when the first apostles were still alive. In AD sixties or something, the degradation of the church actually began. But, but. Not only uh, uh, did it, the degradation started at that time, that degradation was to continue throughout the course of the church in these last 2,000 years. So the Apostle John actually prophesied. He saw in the vision, and as a matter of something to come, the seven churches, you remember the seven churches, again seven referring to God's move, 
in chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation. And that seven churches actually predicts the course of the church history in these last 2,000 years. Successfully, all right? Uh, successively, I should say, starting with the church in Ephesus and on to Smyrna and on to Pergamos and on to Thyatira, on to Sardis, on to Philadelphia, and on to finally Laodicea, covering the entire course of the church age. And you will find that the history of the church, according to the prophecy in those epistles, was a history of degradation because of the enemy's work, frustrate God's work and to damage what God wants to gain for himself through the church. For that reason, the seven spirits was needed. The spirit of God need to be what? The word we use is intensified. Intensified, like your lights, you know, a three-way light. Each time you, you click the switch, the light gets stronger and stronger. And it's the same light but it became stronger and stronger. So in the same way, the spirit actually starting at the time of the apostles was intensified sevenfold to counter, to fight against this degradation, to strengthen the saints, to intensify actually the believers so that they can overcome the degradation, to be the testimony of Jesus. But this truth concerning the spirit, the seven spirits, was covered. Was covered. It was not uh, explained. It was not interpreted. So that today, even in the so-called so apostolic creed, or also known as the Nicene Creed, the creed that the general evangelical fundamental Christianity would stand upon, and you may say even we stand upon in as far as the common faith of the Christians uh, is concerned. There's no mentioning of the seven spirits. It only talk about the Holy Spirit, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. No mentioning of the seven spirits. And I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, without that mentioning of the seven spirits, I would, there is no way to experience that spirit. And without the knowledge of that spirit, there would be no way for us to what? To uh, receive the strengthening, the intensification that that spirit would bring. And without that, there would be no way for us, for God's people, to overcome the degradation of the church. And so this is a, not a small thing, not a small thing. Today, with the Lord's help and with this ministry opening uh, the word to us in a new and living way, we realize that the spirit today is sevenfold intensified. 
Um, you know, my burden, of course, is for all the saints, but I have a particular burden in these days for the younger saints, the millennial saints, and also who are younger. Um, this matter, even of the seven spirits, may not be that uh, impressive to you, may not be that um, uh, uh, important to you. So there's just a burden within to re-speak this matter and to impress us all again. Now, the strange thing is this, or the mysterious thing is this, that when I was coming over here yesterday on the plane, I was studying, of course, praying and considering uh, these uh, outlines and the burden for, for this weekend. Um, I somewhat, uh, I wouldn't say I lost the burden, but something else came up so that I felt not to touch the seven spirits uh, this time. And um, you say, what is that mysterious burden you have? That burden actually is in this message one. This message one. And so, while the general subject is left there, a strong burden that I have, even before we touch the sevenfold intensified spirit, maybe we'll do it another time, is brothers and sisters right here, the mingled spirit. The divine spirit mingled with our human spirit. Now, um, I told the brothers that what we will do is this message has three uh, Roman numerals. And I will spend these next three meetings to cover these three Roman numerals. So this morning, it's just Roman numeral one. So don't throw away this outline, or you have to bring it back. Now, There's this lavender color sheet of paper. Now this, I'm glad the brothers printed in lavender color. I don't know, that is also mysterious to me why they chose this color. But if I were you, I certainly would not even crumble it. If I were you, I would frame it. I think I'm gonna take this home and frame it myself. Frame it in a glass or put it under your desk or whatever. This is a very, very dear and special outline. It's not even an outline. It's just a number of verses from the word, except for the last point, point 18. It is a particular utterance of Brother Lee. This was given in fall 1995, 
fall 1995 at a graduation of the full-time training in Anaheim, all right? And here, look at the top. I mean, I just, I just care for these words from our dear brother very much. A loving word of eternal worth to the full-time trainees. Now, if you are a full-time trainee graduate, you get this sheet. You're surely going to frame it. A loving word of eternal word. That means it's a word of love from our brother. And in his consideration, this word has eternal value. It has eternal worth. Eternal worthiness, eternal value. That's how he esteemed these things in this outline. Then he proceeded to just put one verse, maybe the signature verse of all these verses below, and that would be 1 Corinthians 6.17, a verse that we all know well. He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Just that verse. Just that verse. And of course, in this verse, uh, it is a verse that we use to prove this matter of the mingling of the Lord with us. Not only the mingling of the Lord with us, but more specifically, the mingling of the Lord as the Spirit. The Lord as the Spirit, or even as it says in 2 Corinthians uh, 3, the Lord Spirit, a compound name, a compound title, which means the Lord is the Spirit, the Lord as the Spirit, and he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit. This means that our spirit is involved. Not only the Lord spirit, but me spirit or my spirit is involved. So here are these two great things, I would say, in the universe. Seen in this simple short verse. Two great things and one great result. Or one great fact. The two great things are, number one, the Lord. Spirit. The Lord as the Spirit. And the second great thing is the human spirit, my spirit. These are the two great things in the universe today. You know, this morning when we were praying, praying and praying, 
I just have this burden. I didn't pray this way. I didn't pray out loud this way, but the prayer was it within me. The prayer was, "Lord, reduce us." I did not pray for addition. I did not pray for multiplication. There's a time for that. This morning, I pray for reduction. And the prayer is in this way: Lord, reduce us. Reduce us to these two spirits. Reduce us from everything, literally everything. Not that so many other things. And when I say things, I even in, include the many. Things in the Word of God, the great things, the various truths, many truths in the Bible, the doctrines, many important doctrines in the Word of God, many many things covered by the Word. I want to reduce. I pray that the Lord would reduce us. This weekend, to just these two things, and one fact. Number one, the Lord as the Spirit, and two, our human spirit. <clears throat> We're going to cover these things now. Then our brother continued to write this sentence. The key of the spiritual fellowship of the regenerated tripartite believers—that's us—with the consummated triune God. That's the Lord. That's the Lord. This joining here—I did not finish. I come back to the one fact. The two great matters and the one fact. The one fact is simply shown in this word "joined." Join, or to use our word today, mingle. Mingle. Sometimes we use the word "unite." The union, the uniting of two things. But we like to use the word mingling of the two things. Actually, I should also remind you there is a third subfact of this one great fact of joining, and that is maybe a relatively new concept to you, but it is in the Word, in the New Testament, through and through. And that is the word we call incorporate. All right. Now remember these three words: number one, unite; number two, mingle; number three, incorporate. Now don't be bothered just by these semantics, just the words. But all these three things. 
refer to one great fact. Perhaps the greatest fact, dear saints, in the universe today. The greatest fact. There's nothing greater than this fact. And that is the uniting, the mingling, and the incorporating of God with man. And elsewhere, we would use this more theologically, uh, theological term of divinity with humanity. And to make it practical of the spirit of God with our spirit. So much so that this verse would say that the Lord and me and you would be joined to become one spirit. To become a spirit. Do you follow me? What spirit? A united spirit. A mingled spirit. And an incorporated spirit. I hope I'm not losing you. Uh, you may say, goodness, all these are too complex for me. Uh, well, uh, don't, don't, don't be frustrated. I feel we need to be calm. Really, we need to be with the Lord. Amen, dear saints? We need to be in prayer. Because what I'm talking about is a mystery. In fact, it is the mystery of all mysteries. Of these two spirits being joined together, mingled together, and incorporated. Join is the General word, join. He who is joined to the Lord. That is general word. But when we say unite, we mean a uniting in life. When we say mingle, we mean a mingling of nature. And when we say incorporate, we mean the incorporate of persons. So there is a joining of God and man, of you and the Lord, of me and Christ, right now, as a fact. From the day when we were regenerated, from the day when we call on the name of the Lord to receive him as our Savior, from the day when the Lord came into our hearts, so to speak, there's a joining that took place. There's an unbelievable, mysterious, but real joining of God with a man. That means God with you and with me. Now, isn't that something great? 
God, our God, the God who created this universe, made billions of items. And look at this universe. We, we could hardly fathom this universe. The more the scientists, the astrophysicists, the cosmo, cosmologists, the, the, uh, go, cosmotologist, whichever, <laughs> not, uh, would study this universe with, with these advanced telescopes and, and, and so on and so forth, the more they could not understand, the more they find out, the more they see. I mean, how many trillions of stars and galaxies, it's, it's, it's mind-boggling. Mind-boggling. Yet the very God who created all of this, brothers and sisters, is right now joined to you. you you've got to take a breath and consider this for a while, maybe longer than a while. You know, we can get to a point that we can take all these blessings, spiritual blessings, for granted. Like this old stuff, you know, I've read about it, I've studied this, I know this for a long time, and you lost the impact or the import of what has happened. Brothers and sisters, you are joined to the Lord of this universe. And that is not a type. That is not an illustration. That is for real. For real. Now tell me what else is more important in your life than this? Then you say, why? Is this joining important? In fact, why does God want to join with me? Well, I have a mysterious answer, and that is, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Why? Because I'm not God. And I, I'm not God. So I don't have God's heart, God's desire, God's mind. I, I don't have it. He, he alone is God. Why would God create this universe and then heaven and the earth, more related to us, this planet earth, with all these items and billions of things, items. And two days ago, I met with the director uh, in UCI, UC Irvine, my backyard. He is the director of uh, uh, the brain study and memory uh, in a center in UCI. By the way, you may say UCI, that's, 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 what is that? Well, let me tell you, that center ranked top in the whole world. In the whole world. And not only there, but elsewhere, many scientists and doctors and, and, and uh, psychologists and, and uh, uh, um, 
I don't even know the name, bio this and psychology that, studying the brain. This is not studying bones and flesh. This is studying the brain. Now, if you think your body is wonderful, try studying your brain. You will know how wonderful you are. And they are doing all kinds of things, employing the latest technology, including artificial intelligence and, and virtual reality, just to get a hold of what's going on the brain, what is firing, what is working, why people emote, why people think, why people feel pain, why people suffer, why people are depressed, why people, they don't know. They don't know. And yet God made man on the sixth day, didn't he? He formed man out of the dust of the ground. And that was it. I don't know whether the brain was in existence, it must have been, out of the dust of the ground, and you try to see if you can do it. <laughs> you can make a toy, but I'm talking about a real human with a brain. Look, look, your brain. And so, in about 15 seconds, uh, he lost me. I don't know what he's talking about. He was talking about a mile a minute. I mean, this, these people are super smart. I, I don't know on earth there are people that smart. They're super smart. They talk about these things. And there were two of them there, two of them there, back and forth, back and forth. I just say, uh, I just stood there. I don't know what they're talking about. Any question I ask would only betray my foolishness and naivety. So, <clears throat> there, there's this wonderful God of the universe and cre created a wonderful human. It's you, it's me. The wonder of wonders. I mean, even you read Psalms, right? What is man? Am I right? That you're mindful of him. I mean, he didn't say, what is a pig? What is a chimpanzee? He said, what is man? Man is special. And so God made man. Why? Why? And of all the zillions of stars and galaxies, he found this thing called Earth, planet Earth. And on it, he, there was water, there is land, then there is life of many kinds. And eventually there's man, and man is there needing all these things to live, to survive. And more than this, and I know it seems like I'm in the children's meeting right now, this man is made in his image. I mean, brothers, let's not take that for granted. 
Brothers and sisters, we are made in the image of the creator of this universe. The one who has no beginning and no end. The eternal God. We are made in his image. And you think that is great enough? Let me tell you, the greatest is yet to come. This God, listen to me, according to John, is spirit. He is not physical. He is not flesh and blood. This God is Spirit, pneuma in Greek, air, breath, wind, spirit, all are the same word. Unseen, yet real. Invisible, but alive. God is spirit. God's nature is spirit. So when he made man in his image with the dust of the ground to form man's body, man was still inanimate when man was just a piece of sculpture there that looked like God, not bad, but inanimate, that means not alive. Then what did God do? God came and did something mysterious. I mean, if I'm God, I would not do what God did. You know what I mean? I would just wave a wand. I would just say something. No, no. For light, and you know how great light is in physics. Am I right? Today's people are still studying that. He just said, let there be light. That was it. And today, people spending billions of dollars to study light. But with man, he didn't say, let there be. He actually handmade this man. Don't, don't ask me how, because the Bible didn't tell me. But it did say, he formed man. He made man out of the dust of the ground. I don't think an angel did that, or somebody else did that. God himself made man's body, including his brain. Then he did something unthinkable. He breathed into man's nostrils. And I, I don't know how to demonstrate. It would be hard to demonstrate. Noah, you want to, me to demonstrate with you? Because it won't be so hygienic if I demonstrate it. Okay? But still, come up here. It's just like I, I couldn't kiss him because that would not be so sanitary. I cannot demonstrate fully what God did to man. It says God with this man laying there, and you don't need to lay there, what? 
God breathed into man's nostrils. That's right there. These two holes. Now, then I ask, did, how did God breathe? With his nose? Did God do this? Unlikely. You know, when you breathe out, right? You breathe out. You breathe out from your mouth, right? That's how it is. And so, actually, there are two lookalikes here. By this time, man looked like God. I wouldn't say God looked like man, but you get the point. They are the same in likeness. God made man to be the same kind as he was, as he is. Man is according to God, and man is God's kind. I dare not say man is a god. For sure, a god in the Godhead. But I'll tell you, this is the only creature that resembles God and look like God. All these are highly intentional. God never did anything accidental. Every small, minute thing he did was intentional, purposeful, and deliberate. That means God has an intention. God has a purpose. God has a will. God has a desire in his heart to achieve. All this, all this that I'm talking about in the creation of man. So God, what did God actually cannot demonstrate unless I put my mouth and cover my mouth, his nose with my mouth. That would not be a good thing to do. God did not care for sanitation. It was just dust. You know what I mean? God did not care for hygiene. God just cared for his heart's desire. Amen. And so God actually covered man's nose with his mouth and breathe. And breathe. Amen. Breathe into man something the Bible calls the breath of life. Amen. All right? Okay, that's good enough. You want a demonstration? No, it's okay. We don't need Look. It says, after man breathed, God breathed into man. God, listen, listen. God did not just make a body. God actually himself breathed something of air into man. It's called the air of life or the breath of life. You may even call it the spirit of life into this man. And it says that man became a living soul. The result. 
That means his brain functioned. It's the leading part of man's soul, man's psyche, right? The psychological part of man happened. And man was able to emote, to be emotional. That's part of the soul. Man was able to make judgments, make decisions. And that is the part of the will of man's soul. And not... Man became a living soul. Man became the man that he is today because of that breath of life coming into him. Now, the question is, what is that breath of life that God breathed into man? Now, to be more specific, to be more careful, God did not breathe himself into man. He breathed something that is very close to himself, and that is his own breath. Now today, you're all breathing right now, okay? You're all breathing. That breath is not you. That breath is of you and from you. It's something very close to you, and if you're not breathing, you're dead. So, God breathed something that close to himself as its own breath into man through his nostrils. And man became animated. Man became a man. Man became a person with all the soulish or human faculties coming into operation and function because or by virtue of that breath of life. Now today, if you study the word Old Testament and New, you will realize that that breath of life is none other than the spirit of man. The breath of life that God breathed into man became the spirit within him. So it says in Zechariah, am I right? God who what? Stretched forth the heavens. God who laid the foundation of the earth formed the spirit of man within him. Those are the three great acts. The heavens, the earth, and not just man, but the spirit of man telling us that what made man man is his human spirit. What made you you is the spirit that God made and put within you. And that what's, what's distinguished us human beings from animals, from mammals, who have a certain what? brain, am I right? Certain emotions, certain way to make decisions, animals do at different levels, of course, according to the level and the, uh, and, uh, the life level that they have. But no, there's no animals, no mammals that can be like the human being that have a spirit that came from God within him. 
This spirit that God made within man, we call it the human spirit, is made not only in the end to animate man, to make man alive. You know, when you die, sorry, when you die, you know what happens? Your spirit leaves you. It's not just your mind left you or your emotion left you. Your spirit left you. You know, even when the Lord was on the cross, when he died, it says he gave up the spirit. Am I right? Even the Lord left The spirit left the body. That was, that was his death. When the spirit leaves you, you're dead. You're, you're no longer animated. You, you no longer can function as a human being. The question is why is the human spirit there? The human spirit is made designed, made, special order, custom built. With something of God even, something close to God, his own breath. So what? So that God and man, brothers and sisters, can have a relationship. And this relationship, dear saints, is the joining of the two. The joining of the two. And this is what we, why we use the word the uniting, the what? Mingling, and the incorporating. That means this, that the spirit within us allow us to be united with God. Amen? I mean, even as I, as I speak this, I feel like I am speaking holy words and I'm standing on holy ground. That means God's Life and our life would be what would be united. Two lives can become one life. Now, you know, it says when we get married, the two will be one flesh, right? Right? This is the Bible, am I right? They'll be joined together. You know, the, the marriage is a great picture of joining of two into one. But that joining, I don't care how you join, it is the joining at the most of one becoming one flesh. But God is not flesh and blood. But yet God, listen, dear saints, somehow, some way had this eternal desire to be joined to one of his creatures. 
And so he took great pains to make heaven and earth and this creature and to make him in such a particular and special way with something of him in this creature so that that joining of himself to this man can take place. The joining, number one, of two lives becoming one, and number two, of two natures becoming one, and finally, even of two persons, God and man, becoming one. So that in this universe, there will exist a particular thing or entity that is of two lives, of two natures, of two persons becoming no longer two, but becoming one. So one that it cannot be separated. So one that you cannot even discern the difference. So one that one is in the other. You say, really? Really? And now I jump. Okay, I'm jumping from Genesis one and two to Matthew one and two. And I jump over the bad stuff because the bad stuff will distract us. I jump brothers and sisters to the birth of Jesus. After 4,000 years of man's history, one day there was a birth on this earth, a birth as we have never seen, by a human virgin, a human, not God, a human virgin, who was seated with the Holy Spirit or by the Holy Spirit in her womb, right? And she gave birth, not knowing man, a virgin, yet giving birth to a man-child. His name is Emmanuel. You know what is Emmanuel? What is Emmanuel? God with us. You know who was born in that manger? You tell me. Hmm? You say Jesus. Well, 
Who is Jesus? Well, just tell me, who was born there? God was born one day. Can you believe it? Emmanuel, you know, I wrote a little hymn, Emmanuel. His name men calleth. God with us, with them he dwelleth. God was born through a virgin onto this earth as, listen, a human, as a man. Now, why am I telling you this story that we all know? Not because it's Christmas. That is a huge big distraction and degradation, sorry to say. Jesus' birth is not so that we can have a holiday. We must see the essence, the significance, the mystery of that birth. I tell you, that birth is really the birth of the first real man that God wants. Even Adam that he made so wondrously, so carefully. Did, was not that man. Why? Well, for the simple reason that although he, this man became a living soul with God's image, with a part of him, with something of God that is his human spirit. And by the way, I did fail to mention something again that we all know, that this, the spirit has also three functions. Our human spirit. What is it? Number one, it is called intuition. That means a direct knowledge of God. Direct knowledge. Intuitive. It's not something taught. It's something intuitive. That's part of the function of our spirit as far as the one who made us. The one who breathed this part into us. The second thing is fellowship. You know this line here? The key of the spiritual fellowship. That means a certain communication. A certain kind of mutual participation of one another can take place in the spirit between God and man. No animal can do this. Only man can intuitively know God. Only man can what? Can contact God and relate to God, and communicate with God. And number three, this spirit has a function of the conscience. That means only man has the ability to know right from
from wrong. Something that only God possess in this universe. To know good from evil. That part within him, in man, has that function. Now, now, this Adam that God made in everything way perfect. But the problem was that God has an enemy, Satan, who came in and seduced not this man, but the woman that was made out of this man as part of this man and therefore part of Adam. Seduced to actually before man was able to receive this God, he was built in to receive this God, to have fellowship with this God, am I right? And to become one with this God. And really, the ultimate intent of God is so that this man would just be part of him, and this man would just be him. You follow me? and just live him or express him wherever this man would be on this earth. And that has to do with God's purpose. But Satan knows this because this has something to do with him, his destruction, his elimination. So he came in as God's ark adversary to cause man to receive himself, Satan, his element, his ingredient, his poison, sin, his nature into man. Very sad. The saddest day in human history. So man fell. Okay, that's this, the story. In the New Testament, God came again. This time, not to make man in that kind of a way, separate from himself. Listen, God came himself to be that man. So who is Jesus? Jesus is the real Adam. In fact, the Bible calls him the last Adam. Jesus was not only like Adam, what was not like Adam, merely with the image of God, which he did as a human being, and with what? With the spirit within him, which he had, and with all the faculties of his soul which he possessed to live a human life, to express God. Jesus was God himself. Being incarnated is the word, becoming flesh through this human virgin. As one, listen, who was, when he was born, united, mingled, and incorporated with God. 
In other words, here is a person. We now call this person a God-man. A God-man. Who was exactly the man that God wanted to have. So this God-man, this God-man is the center of all of God's heart's desire. This God-man becomes the very prototype, the very model, the very pattern of the man that God wants in his eternal intention. Amen? I know a lot of these things are old stories to you. But I want to tell the good old story. Amen? And I want us to reflect on it again. And if the Lord would give mercy, we would find a fresh and living appreciation of things that we may know already. I want us to be reduced from everything to just this, at least this weekend. This man came. God came. In a man, as a man, Jesus And this man was born. What a birth. What the significance of incarnation is mingling of two lives, two natures, and two persons in one entity, Jesus. It's not December 25th or whatever. It is this mysterious mingling according to God's heart's desire to join himself with man. There you have it. He himself now became that man. But we know his desire was not only that, his desire is all men would experience this. He longed to be joined to all mankind, who are really God kind, by the way he was made. So this Jesus went through what we call a process. All right? A process. from what we would say an uncooked, sorry for these words, raw condition to a cooked condition. So there's no sushi in the Bible. 
We don't eat raw food. God doesn't care for raw food. He was once upon a time, and forgive and pardon the usage, a quote quote raw God, Himself, the unjoined one, the single, the bachelor, the raw God. But he longs to be joined with us, with men, with sinners, even, with everyone that he created. So he himself became this model, this, this top man, this proper man, this mingled man. And you know. I'm taking too much time. What time is it now, brothers? Huh? 11:25. Are you okay? Are you following me? Okay. If you're falling asleep, let me know. Okay. <laughs> Then I'll stop. I'll stop. My goodness, this, this this morning, I I if I have time, I want to spend a whole meeting just to talk about his life, the life of this ming, mingled entity. All right, brothers and sisters, the four gospels. Don't read the four gospels just as disparate stories, wonderful as they are. He healed this person. He resurrected that person. He was kind and compassionate to that person. He did this miracle. He stopped the wind, the waves. All these are wonderful stories that even we tell our children. And we should tell them such wonderful stories. But this morning, we're not children. We are adults. We need to know something deeper, further, about what all these things are. All these stories are but the expression of a reality. The reality of a man. Who is fully mingled with God, or maybe I should not say fully, but who was mingled with God? In fact, who was God Himself in human flesh, took on a body for God's will. And dear brothers and sisters, everything day He lived. Everyone he contacted, every attitude that he demonstrated, every word he spoke, every emotion that he expressed, he cried, didn't he? He wept, didn't he? Every discernment, every judgment he made, every teaching he taught, every miracle he performed. Everything, twenty-four-seven, three and a half years, thirty-three and a half years. Set for us, brothers and sisters, the other men like him, a example, a picture of what God wants. For all of us, for all of us, 
but not for all of us to imitate and copy because it does not work. How can a dog be a man unless the dog acquire man's life and nature? Am I right? How can we mere men, even though we, have, we look like God and we have something of God within us, express God and be God and live God and, 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 and do as God did and think as God did and, and feel as God did, how could we do this unless we have his life? We have his nature. Even we have his person. But this man did. So the 33 and a half years was a demonstration of a real man of God, a God man, a mingling of two lives, two nature, and two persons. And the Lord said this again and again. He said, What? Do you know, you know? On person, you know, Philip, you remember Philip, John 14? He said, show us the Father. You remember that? Show us the Father. Show, we want to see the Father. We've seen you, Jesus, but we want to see the Father. You're the Son of God, okay, but we want to see the Father. What did he say? He said, Philip, have you not been with me for so long? And you have seen me? And now you are looking to see the Father. What does that mean? That means standing in front of you is the Father. Am I correct? Am I logical? You're not just seeing me. You are seeing the Son. You are seeing the Father through the Son. Or as the Son. Now, I'm not going to get into the theological part on the Trinity, you know, how the Son is the Father and so forth. That is a great thing that we should know and study. But this morning, I'm just talking about the facts. And then he would say, I'm in my Father, and the Father is in me. Am I right? If that is not incorporation, I don't know what is. Then he would say things like, what I speak is not what I'm speaking, it's what the Father is speaking in me. So here is a man, but not living merely his person, not merely living by his own nature, not merely living in his own life, but here is a man living God's life, a man living, expressing God's nature. That is all the attributes of God. Am I right? Are all found in the what? 
in the virtues, virtuous expression of this man. And even more than that, this man is there, standing there, as if the Father was standing there. God was standing there. God was speaking. God was rebuking the wind. God was touching the paralytic. God is touching the lame, the sick, the dead. He lived this way. And little do we know that process was his, his process of being cooked. Do you follow me? God was once upon God with nothing of man within him, but by incarnation, God took on the element of humanity. And then by his human living, God took on a lot more things, not just humanity, but the human life. Even God knew, Jesus knew the weakness of humanity in Hebrews. He picked up a lot of things while he lived. He experienced a lot of things that God never experienced as a fragile man. It says, doesn't it say in Philippians, we were just recently in Philippians, the son learned obedience. That means God in Christ picked up human obedience. It was not there. God doesn't need to obey nobody. Am I right? But God, in order to be joined with us, picked up obedience. He learned to live as a man, and even he learned to live and serve as a slave. How about this? Now, that's something that even we probably have not picked up. The Lord picked up as part of his process. I have to be quick, brothers. We can be here all day. And we should be here all day. I mean, we're not talking about nonsense here, saints, huh? We, we, we. You know, these days, the, the politics, the, you know what I'm saying? The, the, uh, the, the noise, the, all the things that are coming through the internet. Brothers and sisters, do you know none of that is eternal? They don't have eternal worth. You know, whatever you get from CNN or Fox, I don't care where you get it, has no eternal worth. Sure, we need to know a few things about what's going on. This is where we need to spend the time. This is what the universe is all about. This is what we are all about. This is what our destiny is about. This 
is what the will of God is all about. This is the central things. That's why we're here this weekend. Gathered in this hotel. And then, my, I, I just don't know. I mean, oh, brothers and sisters. All the way, all the way down to the last days. All the way down to the last night. When he, when he instituted the table, when he was arrested, when he was judged, when he was persecuted. All of this, brothers and sisters, now you know why. Generally, we say this is so that we can be redeemed. We can be saved. Our sins can be forgiven. Absolutely. He accomplished redemption on the cross. But I want us all to look at something from this angle this morning. And that is this is all a necessary process for this God to go through in order that he can be joined with us as one spirit. And so he gladly, no one coerced him, he gladly was arrested. I mean, Peter or somebody tried to cut off the, hair, the ear of one of the arresters. He healed him. He said, don't do this. I mean, if he did not turn his, himself over, who can arrest God? He said, I lay down my life for my sheep. He willingly walked to Calvary, to the cross, and died there to be processed. To accomplish redemption, yes, but to be processed through death. Through this all-inclusive death, accomplishing so many things in his flesh. He was up there on the cross as three things. You know this. The history of human life tells us this. As the Lamb of God. As the bronze serpent. As the grain of wheat. To be processed. The Lamb for our redemption. What a death. The bronze serpent for the destruction of the enemy and sin and the world and the flesh and the self and all negative things in this universe. What a death! And as the grain of wheat to release and impart his divine life contained in the divine spirit into us, our spirit, to reproduce us to multiply himself in many men to become just like he is. For that, brothers and sisters, he went to this cross and was cooked there and died there in its all-inclusive way. Who knew this? The Roman soldiers didn't knew, know this. Those Jews who say away with him didn't know this. God knew this. He had to die. 
He had to be processed so that God can be mingled with us as one spirit. So three days later, he was resurrected because he cannot be held by death. He was dead, but now he is alive to live forevermore. We know this. But the significance of resurrection, of all this all-powerful resurrection, is not just, you know, he came out like a superman, right? He just defeated death, which he did. I tell you, the main thing of resurrection is this, that in resurrection he was transformed. He was transfigured. He became, brothers and sisters, a life-giving spirit. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. God was spirit. He was always spirit. What's the difference between this life-giving spirit and the spirit of God in Genesis 1? A huge difference. The nature is the spirit, no doubt. That's God's property. God's essence is the spirit. But now, this spirit that was breathed, listen, another breath. There are two breaths, or several breaths, actually, but in our speaking this morning, two breath, the first breath was the breath he breathed, the breath of life into the dust to make man. Now, this is a second breath, a much greater breath, a breath of this processed God. A breath of this God who went through incarnation, human life and living and suffering, and went through death and went through resurrection, not only so, but this very man even was processed through what? Through his ascension into the heavens and enthroned in the heavens And now, this, this man who became a spirit, the spirit, includes all of these elements that I just mentioned. My brothers and sisters, this is mind-boggling. Mind-boggling. I tell you, this is more mind-boggling than Genesis 1 in the making of man. That is unbelievable. This is even more unbelievable. That now, as this spirit, he breathed himself this time and say, receive the holy breath. This time, this time, what he breathed out was not just something of him or something close to him. This time what he breathed out was himself. God himself. 
his person, his nature, his life, and all the things that he picked up in his process, his humanity, his manhood, his suffering, his living, his death on the cross and all that it pertains to, his resurrection and all the things that pertain to that, his ascension and all the things that pertains to that, all of these things are now part of this spirit. And this spirit, in the end, in the New Testament, is simply is not even, has no description, like the spirit of God, like the spirit of Christ, like the spirit of life, which it is, in the end, this spirit is simply called the spirit. The spirit. As if it takes too much to describe this spirit. You know, today we picked up some description of the spirit. We say this spirit is life-giving. This spirit is compound. Am I right? This spirit is processed. This spirit is consummated. Amen? This spirit is the resurrection. This spirit is ascension. The ascension spirit. Today we need to use all these terms to describe the spirit. So the New Testament writers just say the spirit. Look at the very end of the Bible. We come now to the end of the Bible. It says what? It says. The spirit and the bride says come. The spirit. What spirit? This spirit. What is this spirit? This spirit is God, the creator, God, the redeemer, God, the sanctifier, God, the glorifier, God, the transformer, the very God, Father, Son, and Spirit that have been cooked, processed, that has picked up all these ingredients and elements now as one entity. This God, this Spirit, this the Spirit is now joined to our Spirit to become one Spirit. Are you <laughs> excitement is not quite doesn't does it. Brothers and sisters, I am just awed again. Awed as in awesome. No wonder this little sheet call a loving word of eternal worth. This just verse after verse. These are not even just brotherly speaking. These are just a kind of a paraphrasing, in many cases, verbatim. 
the key verses in the New Testament that talks about, that celebrate, that declares, that brings to us this fact of the joining of two spirits as one spirit today. That's my message this morning. Some of you who have been around say, I know all this. I was expecting something new. This is a great disappointment. I shouldn't have come to Chicago. Well, <clears throat> I like to tell you, maybe you need to be reduced. My burden this weekend, brothers and sisters, actually is this, that if we see this central matter again and blocking out for the moment so many other things, we would be reduced to know how to live the Christian life. How to have a Christian service. How to build up the genuine church life. And how really to be the testimony of God today in his recovery. What I've just mentioned to you is nothing short of something we call God's divine economy. And this is what the recovery is all about. I know these days there are a lot of voices, noises in the internet, Facebook, and postings, comments, social media, many things, this, that, this and that, all kinds of things going on. I just don't have the burden to rebuff, rebut these things, debate these things, rebuff these things. There is a place and time for that kind of fellowship but as I was coming over here, even against that as a kind of backdrop or a background, I just had the feeling like the Lord speaking in me saying, help the saints to come back to the central lane. Amen. To remain in the central lane of my purpose and my will what I'm really doing on the earth today and why I have a recovery on the earth today and what this is all about. So this is just the beginning. Now, we have, I'm going to give you assignment, okay? Assignment outside of this meeting. This is assignment for this afternoon. I want you all to find time you're here in this 
you know, we're not even in downtown Chicago. There's stuff to see. We're by the airport, nothing to see here. It just, <laughs> this is a wilderness of a place. You know, what's to see at O'Hare, right? So let's just block off all the noises, voices, things. Let us devote, all right, 48 hours at least, the next 48 hours, to this most important thing with the help of these two sheets. Now, number one, I want you to cover number one through four on the lavender sheet. One through four. You say, what do you mean by cover? Pray, read them. I want you to come together as much as possible in small numbers. In your room, there are many places out here uh, in, the, in the public areas, maybe husband and wife, maybe it's time for husband and wife to do this. Two or three sisters, several brothers, just come, don't hurry, don't even talk about this or that, just in, get into these verses right away. Focus on that, just the first four. John 4.24, John 3.6, Romans 8.16, and Ephesians 2.22. Just do this. Will you please do this? I will guarantee you, you will begin to enter into the thought, the feeling. You will get into the spirit by touching this breath of God. This is another breath. All scripture is God breathed and the light will shine. Then, go to Roman numeral one, not too long, just this first page, and read through them together, and pray as you read over them. The Lord will shine, the Lord will speak, and afterwards, you may have some mutual fellowship based on these things here, and based on some of my fellowship this morning. Will you do that? you will gain at least as much as my word this morning by your own pursuit and study. Okay, I just stop here. How much time do we have? Oh my goodness. I spoke almost for two hours. Well, you should get a medal, not me, for staying here for so long. All right, what should we do? Let's have some prayer with each other, shall we? Amen.